August 21, 1959, President Eisenhower signed a proclamation officially making Hawaii America's 50th state. After generations of Hawaiians being told their culture and language were a waste of time, the Hawaiian culture inches closer to cultural extinction. However, a man would dominate the North Shore's monstrous waves and help us rediscover our culture. He was the Hawaiian protector, Eddie Aikau. And this is Legends from the Pacific. Aloha, and thank you for joining us. This is Legends from the Pacific, episode 130, The Hawaiian Protector, Eddie Aikau. I am Kamuela Kaneshiro, a native Hawaiian professional writer, speaker, and Comic-Con panelist with extensive film and television experience. I study mythology, I've encountered unusual things, and I'm a geek. So I just wanted to give a big mahalo nui loa to Jordan Harbour of the Twilight Histories podcast. Jordan sent me an email saying he and his family discovered our show while vacationing in Maui, and have since become our latest fans. Mahalo nui loa, Jordan, and I've also become a fan of your show, Twilight Histories. Twilight Histories is a combination of a choose-your-own-adventure radio drama with sound effects and the Twilight Zone. What intrigued me was some of the episodes involved alternative histories, which as a writer is always fun considering what-if scenarios, like the Chinese trading with Aztecs. That's the popular Aztec Steel episode. Egypt trapped in an ice age and an underwater Soviet city. I couldn't help but think about the Bioshock video game series with that one. But Twilight Histories was also awarded Apple's Best of 2019. So give Twilight Histories a listen or visit them at twilighthistories.com and tell them Kamu said hi. I also listened to the recent Magician episode. Being a magician, I couldn't resist it. Later in this episode, your featured song in Hawaiian word. But first, let me share with you. The man behind the eddy who helped Hawaiians avoid cultural extinction. As usual, I apologize for any mispronounced names or words and appreciate your understanding. Also, racism will be discussed in this episode. For the record, I'd just like to state I can appreciate non-traditional, tacky Hawaiian stuff, and the only people I feel that are at fault are the individuals in the past who only cared about their culture and disrespected others. Yeah, I'm calling out the ghosts of the past. Now, Edward Ryan Makuahanai Akau, or Eddie, was one of six children. He was born on Maui in Kahului on May 5, 1946, when Hawaii was a U.S. territory. His father, who some referred to as Pops Aikau, moved the family to Oahu, where they arranged to live in a Chinese graveyard. The Aikaus were descended from a Kahuna Nui, which was a high-ranked Kahuna who served King Kamehameha the Great and his son, Kamehameha II, Liholiho. So it's likely their ancestor knew my ancestor, Chief Kaiana. Eddie and his siblings experienced the end of Hawaii's boat days, which was when mats and boats brought tourists to the island. Many locals would dive after coins passengers threw to them. While Waikiki was already a destination reserved for the wealthy, things rapidly developed when Hawaii became a state in 1959. More hotels were constructed while tourists were flown in. But while Duke Kahanamoku, who is now 69, did a lot for Hawaiians, the only Hawaiians allowed in the once sacred Waikiki area were beach boys and hula dancers 
who performed non-traditional routines. A stone's throw from the tourist tropical playground, Eddie and his brothers caught waves on plywood boogie boards before upgrading to surfboards. Eddie dropped out of school and worked at Dole Cannery, who employed many locals, which included my mom, who worked there when she was young. Eddie bought a surfboard and surfed during the day. While there were many places for Eddie to surf, Oahu's North Shore's massive waves called him. Eddie dominated those waves, and in 1965, the Duke Kahanamoku Invitational Surf Competition occurred at Sunset Beach. Duke Kahanamoku, now 75, presented a trophy to the winner. Eddie was no stranger to Sunset Beach and idolized Duke, but he was not one of the 20 who competed. In fact, the competition's only non-Westerner was Duke, and he didn't surf. So the competition started, and Eddie and his friend Ben Aipa surfed nearby and impressed a lot of people. Okay, please allow me to take a brief detour and illustrate what Hawaii was like around this time. You see, back around 1926, Hawaiian culture was not really taught in schools, and learning the Hawaiian language and history became what some considered a waste of time. There was even a belief that the Hawaiians found the Hawaiian Islands by accident because they didn't have navigational instruments, and it was impossible to sail under these conditions. So, the world knew Hawaii as a tropical paradise with sugar, pineapples, women performing non-traditional hula in fake grass skirts, or even coconut bras, and surfing. To put it plainly, after generations of foreigners who claimed their culture was better, Hawaiians were facing cultural extinction and many felt surfing was the last pure piece of our culture that in the 60s was being influenced by Westerners. So it was felt that Eddie and other Hawaiian surfers were fighting tooth and nail to keep Hawaiians in the sport of our ancestors. The following year in 1966, the second Duke Kahanamoku Invitational occurred. Eddie was invited, participated, and took sixth place. The next year, in 1967, a little ways down the road from Sunset Beach, at Waimea Bay, or as the Beach Boys put it, Waimea Bay, the swells were crazy with waves reaching 40 feet. Now, I'm thinking this was 40 non-Hawaiian feet, because while the world measures the face of the wave, or from the wave's bottom to its crest, Hawaiians measure a wave's back, or from the stillwater level to its crest. This makes Hawaiian measurements about half the total of a wave's face. So what Hawaiians called a 40-foot wave, the rest of the world would call an 80-foot wave. There's also the whole thing that waves seem bigger when you catch them, much like the fish you may catch. Anywho, during this time, Waimea Bay was really pumping, and many surfers were out there. Eddie, with his red surfboard, put on a show. A lot of pictures were taken of him, and the world learned of Eddie Aikau. Magazines featured him, and interviewers called him, including ABC's Wide World of Sports, which broadcast the Duke Kahanamoku Invitational. However, what many don't realize is Waimea Bay's winter swells can be very dangerous, because not only are there crazy waves and a very strong current, but there's a lot of reef. On the subject of big waves, while Eddie and other Hawaiians enjoyed big waves, this wasn't something our ancestors did, since these waves occurred during the winter months or Makahiki time, when Hawaiians left the big waves for the gods to enjoy. Also, higher tides brought sharks closer to shore. 1967 also didn't offer lifeguards much technological assistance either, and Mayor Frank Fossey was looking for someone to keep the North Shore beaches safe. While Eddie seemed like the perfect man for the job, he didn't graduate high school. Once this was remedied, 
21-year-old Eddie quit Dole Cannery and became the lifeguard of Oahu's North Shore. Eddie went after all who dare swim Hawaii's treacherous surf spot, including tourists and Vietnam soldiers on R&R who may have enjoyed too much liquid courage. During his tenure, Eddie swam after 500 people and never lost a single person. Let's just consider that. He saved over 500 people and never lost one person in a time when there were no jet skis. Now, around this time, Western surfers were moving to Hawaii or being born. So Caucasian surfers were being called Hawaiian because of geography instead of race. Unfortunately, this still lingers with individuals giving birth to their children in Hawaii just so they can call them Hawaiian. There's even a South Park episode about it. I know we're covering race a lot here, but it's because Eddie was invited to a surf tournament in South Africa, and while his other Caucasian competitors from Hawaii were celebrated and enjoyed accommodations, Eddie was left out in the streets of a foreign land because of his dark skin. So 1973 rolls around, and it's the Duke Kahanamoku Surf Competition. Eddie is joined by his younger brother, Clyde Aikau, and Clyde wins the contest. It should be noted that some feel if the waves were bigger than 20 feet, Eddie would have won. Following this event, some disrespectful international surfers got in trouble with the locals, but Eddie smoothed things out for them, which I feel showed Eddie's greatness since he encountered racism in South Africa. In 1977, four years after Clyde won the Duke Kahanamoku competition, 31-year-old Eddie, who was still lifeguarding, won the Duke Kahanamoku competition. For the record, Eddie was considered very old to be competing, and the Aikau brothers were the only Hawaiians to win Duke's event. Having won the contest so dear to his heart, something on the horizon caught Eddie's attention, and that was the canoe Hokulea. We're going to quickly backtrack to four years earlier in 1973. Remember earlier when I mentioned people believed Hawaiians accidentally found Hawaii? Well, a few people wanted to prove Polynesians could purposely settle the Pacific and navigate using the stars. This group was called the Polynesian Voyaging Society and began researching massive voyaging canoes, the likes of which hasn't been seen in over 600 years. The canoe constructed was named Hokulea, which means Star of Gladness. The society found a crew that included Mao Piailuk from Micronesia, who could navigate by stars. In 1967, the Hokulea and crew sailed from Maui to Papaete, Tahiti. Papaete may sound familiar because it's mentioned in the beginning of the song Southern Cross. Papaete is such a fun word to say. Anywho, the Hokulea arrived at Papaete and was greeted by over half of the island's inhabitants, which was over 17,000 people. This resonated throughout the Pacific on many levels because this went against what individuals from other cultures have been telling us for generations. The Hokulea just proved our ancestors lived the impossible. Pacific Islanders filled with pride for their heritage, and we started moving away from cultural extinction. However, not all was rosy with the Hokulea. The crew had massive disagreements, which sent Navigator Mao back home to Micronesia, while the Hokulea returned using instruments. A second voyage was planned because the impossibility of navigating by stars could be done. Two years later in 1978, the Hokulea's second voyage was to depart from Oahu instead of Maui for Tahiti. Thousands wanted to join the small crew, 
and lifeguard Eddie Aikau was accepted. At this time, a surfboard's life-saving properties was recognized. It also required little space, so one was taken. On March 16, 1978, many cheered the Hokulea's captain and his 15-member crew, which included its new navigator, Nainoa Thompson, who spent years teaching himself how to navigate by stars using books and the Bishop Museum's planetarium, which was a vital learning tool. As stated in other episodes, the Bishop Museum is like Hawaii's Smithsonian. But March is also part of Hawaii's winter months. Remember, it's Makahiki time, so high winds and waves created horrible conditions. Between Oahu and Molokai is the Ka'iwi Channel, or Channel of Bones, that some refer to as one of the most treacherous bodies of water in the world. While the Hokulea's crew may have trained for these conditions, a month's worth of provisions slowed and weighed them down. Five and a half hours into their voyage, around midnight, the Hokulea flipped over. The crew clung to the hull as chilled winds stripped heat from their exposed, saltwater-drenched bodies. The rescue surfboard was retrieved. Eddie wanted to go get help, but the captain refused since it was night. They were also able to salvage rescue flares and an emergency radio, which they used to raise anyone. Now back then, like today, the way we mainly travel between islands is by plane, and the crew were in the airline's route. So the crew saw planes, but they didn't see the crew. The sun rose, planes passed, but the crew drifted around 10 miles possibly out of the airline's routes. The captain allowed one of the crew members, Snake Ahi, to take the surfboard. Snake went and returned when he thought a plane saw them, but it didn't. The captain allowed Eddie to go. Eddie got the surfboard and planned on paddling to Lanai. He was told to keep his life vest on as the crew gave him some oranges and a strobe light. Eddie paddled, but his life vest was getting in the way, so he took it off, gained his full range of paddling, and charged against the white-capped sea. A crew member later confessed as Eddie left. They thought they were going to die from hypothermia, exposure, and exhaustion. But Eddie was going to survive because he'd make it to Lanai. As the crew waited under the afternoon sun, a ship was seen, but it didn't see them and sailed past the drifting crew. The sun set. Around a quarter to 9 p.m., the last Hawaiian Airlines flight from Kona was running late. It altered its course to compensate and saw rescue flares. The plane circled the flipped Hokulea, radioed the Coast Guard, and the crew was miraculously saved. They immediately reported Eddie wasn't with them. The Coast Guard launched a search and rescue. At Honolulu Airport, friends and loved ones greeted the crew, but Eddie's family were told he was missing. The following morning, March 18, 1978, brought the largest land and sea search Hawaii's ever seen. The Civil Air Patrol and citizens in boats and helicopters joined the Coast Guard to find Eddie. His younger brother, Clyde, was in Australia for a surf meet, caught the next flight home, and scanned the water looking for any sign of Eddie. Clyde later said, if anyone could survive, it'd be Eddie. On the morning of the first day of this massive rescue, a Hawaiian Airlines pilot reported a strobe light about 10 miles southwest of Molokai. The Coast Guard was dispatched, but didn't see anything. Later on this first day, just after 3 p.m., a civilian helicopter reported seeing Eddie's surfboard about five and a half miles southwest from the Hokulea. The Hokulea was about 23 miles southwest of Molokai. The water was too rough to retrieve the board. 
Eddie's family hired a helicopter pilot and racked up to $7,000 in fuel. That's almost $32,500 today in 2023. Famed Australian-American singer Helen Reddy quietly gave the Aikals the money. Consider that next time you hear the song, I Am Woman. After a couple days on March 20th, the search was reduced. A few days later on March 23rd, 1978, Eddie's father, Pops Aikau, thanked everyone and called off the search. The great Hawaiian protector, Eddie Aikau, was declared lost at sea. Following this tragedy, the Hokulea incorporated stricter safety training. Nino Thompson said this showed how much they needed to focus on crew safety. The Hokulea's first navigator, Mao, returned to Hawaii and helped Nainoa learn the stars. A plaque dedicated to Eddie was mounted on the Hokulea, and two years later in 1980, the Hokulea, navigated by Nainoa Thompson, sailed from Hawaii to Tahiti in 33 days, then returned to Hawaii. The Hokulea was accompanied by a modern escort ship, which only provides emergency assistance when needed. This still occurs today on all Hokulea's voyages. Confirming that Pacific Islanders navigated using the stars helped scholars understand various things like human migration. My favorite fact was Hawaiian artifacts were discovered in South America. Five years after Hokulea's successful round trip in 1985, the first Eddie Aikau Big Wave Invitational, or the Eddie, was held at Waimea Bay. The Eddie has a number of elements that make it unique. Surfers have to paddle out and catch their waves on their own power, meaning jet skis can't tow them or assist them catching waves. But perhaps the Eddie's most unique trait is that it only runs when Waimea Bay's waves are consistently 20 feet or bigger, so the Eddie doesn't run every year. The second time the Eddie ran in 1986, Eddie's younger brother Clyde, who was 36 years old at the time, won riding Eddie's surfboard. In the Eddie's 38 years, this past January 22nd, 2023, was only the 10th time it ran. Clyde Aikau was there, participating in the event at 73 years old, making him the oldest participant in the Eddie and possibly any surf competition. The Eddie is considered one of the world's most prestigious surfing events. The surf company Quicksilver and others initially funded the Eddie. But the Eddie Aikau Foundation, which is run by Eddie's family, continues organizing the event and holds essay contests for Hawaii students. The essay contest accepts submissions in English and Hawaiian. It should be noted Eddie did have a wife. He married Linda Ebsen. They had no children, but Linda is the treasurer of the Eddie Aikau Foundation. The Hokulea's success and other events sparked a resurgence of Hawaiian culture in the 80s. This decade was vital for the Hawaiians to avoid cultural extinction. Funding was put into Hawaiian studies programs. Hawaiian studies began being taught at public schools. Dole Cannery, which Eddie and many locals worked at, was shut down in the 90s. And Hawaii's cash crops, the sugarcane and pineapple fields, were relocated to Latin America. All that remains is the small Dole Plantation on the North Shore, and the cannery was converted to business buildings. Costco's right next door, and a very nice movie theater which premiered Star Wars Episode I, The Phantom Menace. Today, much of the world learned of Eddie Aikau from the 2013 ESPN 30 for 30 documentary, Hawaiian, The Legend of Eddie Aikau, which was produced and narrated by Thanos. I mean Brad from The Goonies. I mean Josh Brolin. So the first word of the documentary is Hawaiian, 
I'm not sure if it was deliberate, but around this time in Hawaii, it was common for people to say Hawaiian with a higher tone inflection, like Hawaiian. Many ask if I've been to the eddy. No, I haven't. Simply because the North Shore's roads becomes one lane. Roads in that direction become a parking lot the night before. Not to mention, there's very little North Shore parking, so I usually watch it on TV with friends. There's also the famous slogan, Eddie Would Go, which has been seen on shirts and bumper stickers. Many variations sprung from this, like Eddie Wouldn't Tow, referring to jet skis towing surfers. A humorous one I enjoyed was Mom Would Go. But returning to the original Eddie Would Go, while this could lead to various interpretations and the knee-jerk reaction that this may promote recklessness, I feel it means Eddie would go and save people, fulfilling his role as one of the world's greatest Hawaiian protectors. While it may seem difficult to consider now, it's scary how close Hawaiians came to cultural extinction. I'm glad our world is more accepting of understanding different cultures instead of altering them, and hope our show perpetuates Asian and Pacific culture interest and awareness, because it'd be a tragedy if any culture were to lose their identity. Once again, I'm so thankful for you, our listener, to be part of our cultural show. If you like what you heard, please give us a rating and write a review. I'd really appreciate it, as well as future listeners. In the beginning, there was the Pacific Ocean. A canoe broke the horizon, piloted by Pele, a beautiful Polynesian maiden who dominated the waves until she felt safe to stop. That was multi-award-winning voice actress Emily Wu Zeller. Emily has worked on anime, the video game Cyberpunk 2077, and over 500 audiobooks, including Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back from a Certain Point of View, and our Legends from the Pacific Book 1. Purchase our Legends from the Pacific Book 1 audiobook and enjoy Emily telling our stories today. As always, a big mahalo nui loa to our Patreon members. Christopher, Meg, Jessica Bullock, Edward Pueohenki, Felisa H., The Makuli Guy, and of course, Ren Shepard. Your support keeps our show going. If you'd like to support our show, please click the link in our show notes and become a Legends from the Pacific Patreon member to enjoy an exclusive monthly Hawaiian story and other nifty benefits. Your rewards are waiting for you, so become a Legends from the Pacific Patreon member today. Our theme song is Mystery by Tavana, courtesy of High Sessions. Sound effects are by Sound Effects Factory. Our music coordinator is Matt Duffy, a.k.a. DJ Triple Bypass. Links and show notes can be found on our website, legendsfromthepacific.com, including a link to your featured song, which is Le Ho'ohena by Weldon Kekaoha. Courtesy of High Sessions, Legends from the Pacific was written, produced, and edited by me, Kamuela Kanashiro. I also wrote our original stories. Your featured Hawaiian word is palekana. Palekana means safe, saved, or rescued. An example of palekana is Gotham City is palekana because of Batman. Once again, palekana is Hawaiian for safe, saved, or rescued. Thank you once again for listening. Mahalo and a hui ho! No hea ikamaka, lili ko 